The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. Oh, my. We have a quote again from a gentleman who writes for Fast Company. He's a serial entrepreneur, thought leader, and uh, all kinds of interesting things. His name is Faisal Hoke, H-O-Q-U-E, and here is the quote. How one goes about building an innovative organization ought to be unique, but for every organization, it starts with the right mindset. The unexpected must be expected, and most importantly, it includes the intangibles of culture, the beliefs, expectations, and sense of purpose of those in the organization. So what do we have here? We have a couple of key words, key phrases. First of all, innovative organization ought to be unique, but for every organization, sounds like there's some commonalities here, and the key takeaway for me is the unexpected must be expected. So let's see what we're talking about. Okay, does the term business innovation strike fear in your heart and the heart of all of the people in your company? Or does it evoke the excitement of possibility in your organization? Wow, we're going to innovate. Wow, we're going to get out there and do something new and fresh. Wow, we're going to become a leader in our field again. Companies are going to take notice. Customers are going to flock to us. Suppliers and partners are going to say, yes, we want to be involved with you. Oh, my goodness. However... However, let's do a reality check here. You may have business units that are siloed, sitting by themselves in a different part of the field, and they're trying out these innovative technologies. Come on, we talk about them all the time here on Game Changers. Machine learning, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things. If they're honing in on this and they're not seeing the big picture of where your company can go as an innovative organization, they may be frightened. Uh Uh-huh. But if you're using this powerful new technology, any or all of it across your product line, across your service units, and you're already exceeding customer expectations, come on, B2B, B2C, we know customer expectations and demands have changed. They've escalated. They want it now. They want it a lot for one very often, and they want it at very high quality. Then you may already be ahead of the pack. Your competitors may not be thinking about what the customer wants. So what kind of organization? 
location will your company be by 2020? Here's the future view. So we have three panelists today. They are all coming back, returning panelists, some with different hats on. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll go on. First up, we're welcoming back in a moment Reuven Gorsh. He's been on before, and he is now the co-founder and CEO of a company called Move Snap. Talk about innovation, and we'll be chatting with him in a minute. We're also welcoming back Jeremy C. Thomas, founder and catalyst at Carum, C-A-R-O-M. Always happy to have him on board. And rounding out the panel is a lady who's one of the two co-sponsors of the series, Jennifer Ford, executive director for the North American Pre-Sales Design Thinking Team at SAP. That's a long title, Jennifer. So let's circle around the table to Reuven Gorscht. And Reuven has sent us a quote from Tony Robbins. It's been a long time since we've had a Tony Robbins quote. Tony Robbins, born in 1960, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, life coach, known for his infomercials, his seminars, and his self-help books, including Unlimited Power and Awaken the Giant Within, and I think Shattered is his new book he's promoting. Here is the quote. Every problem is a gift. Without problems, we would not grow. Reuven Gorscht, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you, Reuven? Hey, Bonnie. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here again. Delighted. Seems like a long time. It was a couple of years since you've been on Game Changers with me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it must Too be long. Too long. So tell me something. Let's be honest. Do you uh, watch all of those Tony Robbins infomercials? Do you have all of his books? And, and are you a believer? Just a little yes or no, and then tell me how the quote relates to our topic. Uh, no, so I've, I've, I think almost everyone's heard of Tony Robbins, unless you've been living under a rock somewhere. Um, so I haven't, um, you know, I don't watch the infomercials or anything like that, but I do find a lot of his uh, stuff resonates uh, very well, especially um, being, you know, being an entrepreneur and having to, you know, get up and, and plan and, and do everything um, for yourself, owning your own future. And that's where, um, you know, a lot of what Tony does and, and the groundbreaking work has changed, you know, many people's lives, including my own. So tell me now, every problem is a gift. Without problems, we would not grow. We're talking today, Reuven, about business innovation, about maybe a company makeover, an industry makeover could be that big. So tell me something. Do most people see this problem as a gift, as a gift, or do they see it as an OMG, what do we do now? Is it fear or excitement? It depends uh, depends on the, on the mindset that you approach things at. Um, so a lot of people do see it as, uh, as fear. So you know nobody likes problems, and we all have our fair share of problems that we're dealing with. But uh, if you're looking at problems as opportunities, that's where historically and if we're looking into the future, that's where a lot of what we you know, call innovation or ideas or businesses are, uh, are emerging from. It's all about solving uh, the, the big, hairy problems that nobody else wants to touch. There you go. And one more question. I opened up with my quote from Faisal Hoke on Fast Company, and he said, the unexpected must be expected. Do you think this is part of what does strike fear in the heart of business innovators, Ruben? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I mm. think um, we don't need a crystal ball to know what's going on. The consumer world is really leading um, a leading indicator of uh, everything that's uh, that's happening. Uh, it's just a matter of months or a couple of years before it hits the enterprise. So I, I don't think it's uh, it's the you know looking at the black black swan scenario because that's uncontrollable. We don't know what's going to happen. 
Thank you very much. I like your grounded approach. Appreciate it. Welcome back. And now let's speak with Jeremy C. Tom. Jeremy, I use your middle initial because I never go anywhere without mine, and it's D, so I like people with middle initials. Jeremy C. <laughs> Thomas, founder and catalyst at Carom. I love the catalyst title. Jeremy has selected a quote from Walter Lippmann. If you're very young, you may not have heard of Mr. Lippmann, L-I-P-P-M-A-N-N, 1889 to 1974. He was an American writer, reporter, and political commentator. Listen to this, kids. Famous for being among the first to introduce the concept of Cold War, he coined the term stereotype in the modern psychological meaning, and he critiqued media and democracy in a newspaper column and books, most notably 1922, his book, Public Opinion. Uh, He won two Pulitzer Prizes, one for his syndicated newspaper column, Today and Tomorrow, and for his 1961 interview with Nikita Khrushchev. If you're too young to know who that is, look him up, for goodness sake. Look up the shoe in Khrushchev. Uh, Lippmann was called the most influential journalist of the 20th century and the father of modern journalism. Wow. Here is the quote Jeremy has selected. When all think alike, then no one is thinking. Welcome back, Jeremy. How have you been? I am very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Love the quote from Walter Lippmann. Why don't you interpret it for us? When all think alike, then no one is thinking. We're talking business innovation. What do you see? Yes, and I think that quote is um, its very powerful for a lot of reasons. I think your description of Walter Lippmann was, was very good, and we could use a little bit more if you read some of his work um, of, of his way of thinking in today's world. But specifically to business innovation, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to probably be a bit more the radical when it comes to innovation here. But I think we suffer in organizations and corporations from that kind of business think that we've all been trained and taught to think in a certain way, and that the the innovation that's going on is at best very minor innovation in most cases. And we don't have the capacity without a lot of work and self-awareness um, to think differently than the other people we collaborate or uh, work with to really drive what I believe would be true change and true innovation uh, for the business world and, and for our, um, our entire uh, social structure as well. Thank you, Jeremy. Let, let me go back, as I did with my chat with Ruben a moment ago, and, and pull out a piece from the Faisal Hoke quote, the unexpected must be expected. Is it possible that the unexpected in a business innovation scenario, in that whether it's a continuum or whether it's a shock to the company, oh, my God, we're going to innovate, what happens now? Is it possible that the quote from Lippmann, when all think alike, then no one is thinking, that companies should welcome a divergence of opinions and approaches at the high level, at the mid-level, where that unexpected comes from within, comes from, oh, we're afraid of this, let's see if we can tackle it that way, or yes, we're excited, let's see if we can embrace this opportunity sooner rather than later. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, could the unexpected not be the market reaction or, or something from outside, but from within, from that culture? My belief is that it should be, um, but mm. the truth is that we often drive out the person or or groups or people that would be the ones to drive that unexpected conversation. 
Mm, interesting. We'll have to come back to that. I like that, Jeremy. I'm glad we put that one together. Thank you. And Jennifer Ford, rumor has it you're looking out on a vista of an ocean or a very, very large lake that goes on forever right now. And thank you for joining us. She is the Executive Director for the North American Pre-Sales Design Thinking Team at SAP. And Jennifer has picked up a quote. We, we hear this a lot, and it's so appropriate for today's show. It's from Albert Einstein, 1879-1955, German-born theoretical physicist, most famous for his mass energy equivalence formula, E equals mc squared. It has been dubbed the world's most famous equation, and he received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics. Here's the quote. The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Jennifer Ford, how are you? I am great, and you are correct. I am uh, presently sitting in my van at a turnout looking over Lake Superior in Grand Marais, Michigan. So, yeah, it's not a bad vista. It was a big lake. I was right. I wasn't sure where it was. Looked oceanic to me. Jennifer, thanks for coming back for in from your odyssey, your your vacation to join us today. So talk to me about this quote. The quotes today are really, really good for our topic. Einstein, the world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. How does this relate to our topic of business innovation? Absolutely, and, and I think it, it ties nicely into both uh, Ruben's and Jeremy's as well, because, you know, when we talk about business innovation, um, you know, innovation and, and the concept of innovation and the culture of an organization really has to start at the top. Um, innovation, I'm not going to say that it can't ever happen, but it is very difficult within organizations for there to be groundswell of the type of culture and mindset that makes failure okay, that makes doing things differently and, and trying um, other ways of thinking besides uh, the way that we've been taught through, you know, process diagrams, um, that uh, it really is, is difficult, but leaders oftentimes are reluctant to, uh, to make those kinds of sweeping changes of how they, they want the organization to think because it is disruptive and uh, it, it's sometimes difficult to control. Very interesting. And what about that remark? I, I really like that piece I pulled out of the original quote, uh, ex- the unexpected is expected, or wh- where would you expect it to come from? If it starts at the top, would you expect to find pockets of fear as well as pockets of excitement down inside the company? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's both. And, and the, the unexpected, and, and this is where there is that it's very difficult. You have to have a very strong leadership organization that is okay looking and telling the street that, you know what, we're trying some different things. You know, we are, we are changing our organization in order to better support what our customer expectations are, and that's going to create an opportunity for experimentation across our organization. You know, but the street typically does not, uh, they aren't very forgiving. And so you have that, that fine balance between how do we try to do things differently within our organization while maintaining, you know, the direction that we've given. You know, in my own personal opinion, um, you know, sometimes publicly traded companies are, are in a very difficult situation when it comes to trying to be innovative. We, uh, we are very unforgiving in that particular regard. 
Thank you, Jennifer. And I want to do a little level set here before we go around the table and find out where you all, well, we know where you are, and we, we're going to find out what you're drinking in a minute in your van overlooking the beautiful lake. Uh, question for you. When we're t- our topic today, Jennifer, your business innovation, fostering fear or evoking excitement. How big is the term business innovation? Are we talking about overhauling, maybe unsiloing the departments? Are we talking about, I alluded to, new tech, machine learning, IoT, AI, uh, probably blockchain? somewhere in that mix. Uh, what level of innovation do we want the audience to know that we're we're trying to get our arms around today? Jennifer? You know, I, I think that as, as big as, as you have the determination to go, um, I think that there are a lot of challenges out there uh, in the world that we, we're looking for organizations to latch onto and to find ways. And that means different ways of thinking, and that means different ways of working together, and that means different ways of partnering. So I think that, uh, you know, our, our call is that people should push to be as, as innovative as, as they possibly can and then push a little harder. Mm, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, what is a good, better, best? Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. That's a moving target, isn't it, Jennifer? All the it time? Is. It should yep. be, anyway. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Reuven Gorscht, rumor has it you have a new company. You're based in Canada. It's called MoveSnap, S-N-A-P. I'd love for you to tell me two things. Where are you calling from? What do you love to drink that really powers you as an entrepreneur? And tell us uh, the 60-second elevator pitch on what does MoveSnap do and why did you start it? Reuven. Absolutely, Bonnie. Good morning again. Um, calling from Toronto, which is home for me. Um, just uh, in the office this morning, drinking. Um, what fuels me these days are lots and lots of cups of coffee. And specifically, and Bonnie, I know you're going to have a good chuckle at this, instant coffee keeps it simple, saves time, <laughs> dovetails with our topic today. And uh, just a quick picture on MoveSnap. Um, yeah. Moving, relocation is a miserable experience. I've had one myself. I think almost everyone <laughs> of us have, has had one when you got to get uh, literally about 75 different things done in a very short period of time. Your entire life is in a suitcase. MoveSnap is a platform that puts everything in one place for you so you can get all your activities done. You can organize your entire move and make sure you don't miss anything that will come back to haunt you down the road. Where were you when I needed you when I started planning my move? I'm counting down. I have 15 days, Reuben. And uh, yes, it's uh, not one suitcase. It's boxes. It's crates. It's getting ready for the movers to move furniture from two apartments, mine and, and my late mom's, the so two stops in the same day, and then driving my sports car overnight from New York to North Carolina, packed with all of my radio equipment and a couple of precious antiques, trying to squeeze everything into a little tiny 350Z, and already taking care of getting all of the utilities set up in the new place and having somebody there to set the internet up before I go, and oh my goodness, it's huge, right? It, it's huge, getting permissions for moving trucks to come to loading docs is this part of what you take care of Ruben yeah yeah ab- absolutely it's it's really taking that entire chaos uh, that chaotic process mind you there, there's still there's still some uh, frustrations with with the process because it's so fragmented there's so many parties involved there's so many steps oh. uh, but at the end of the day the, the vision is your next move Bonnie you just pack up your suitcase show up at your new place and your staff your stuff is all set up everything's done for you and that's our uh, that's our envision when we uh, when we solve this uh, this problem 
Well, you keep me posted when you when you start doing business in the U.S. Because I understand now you're just sure. in Canada, so we will we will talk. This may be my last move, but probably not. This is about the ninth, so at least it's been thirty years since I've had to do it the last time. Thank you, Reuben, and welcome back. Instant coffee, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Thomas. Where are you? Give us a little bit of an insight. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what's going on with Carom these days? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So I am in the Bay Area at home. It is just after 7 a.m. in California, so um, it's uh, not late enough for me to have made it anywhere else but home. Um, And to that end, what I'm enjoying to get me started this morning is uh, going to be very literal, but I'm having a cup of coffee. Um, Phil's uh, Silken Splendor is the roast. Um, It's a local... Uh, Bay Area coffee roaster and um, cafe owner, um, and I look forward later to having a fieldwork beer, which is a uh, also a Bay Area little bit of a change on the business model of a craft brewer, um, but they make some terrific beer, and I always look forward to having one of those later in the day. Very um, nice. And tell me something: Silken Splendor is part of Phil's Coffee, is that correct? From the Bay Area, it is. It is one of their their roasts. Yes. You may think I'm, one of my, I'm, I'm one of my omniscient. Favorites. I looked it up. We, we used to have somebody working with me at SAP uh, helping to set up the guests and the topics for the early days of Game Changers Radio, and he was a big fan of Phil's Coffee, so it was nice to see their name pop up. I think we tried to get them as a sponsor at one point. Thank you, Jeremy, very much. And Jennifer Ford in the van, are you drinking anything? Come on, it must be something that refreshes you. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a cup of 45th Parallel from Traverse City Coffee Company and uh, enjoying that right now. And similar to Jeremy, I will be enjoying a Shorts Brewing Company controversial later on this, uh, well, probably right after the show. (laughs) I'm on (laughs) Oh, my. You know what, Jennifer? Is this the 45th Parallel Cafe? Is this what we're talking about here? Their coffee? Uh, Yep. Well, yes. Yep. That's one of the ones that uh, that's one of their cafes. In addition to having the uh, the roaster. Do you know what? There's also a 49th parallel coffee roaster in Vancouver. Did you know that? There you go. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a 49th parallel. It's 49thcoffee.com. Let me just look this up. Here it is, 49th parallel coffee roasters, Vancouver. Every cup you drink should be exciting, a delicious representation of the region. Uh, we work directly with farmers who share the same ambition and commitment for their craft as we do. Sounds like there's been an industry innovation here, Jennifer, that it's not just, hey, we're going to take whatever we find, but we're going to go out and uh, from, from farm to roaster, something like that, I'm thinking. Very, very very interesting when you enjoy your cup and as the three of you know from working with me before they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days duh so i've got my cup of cool clear water in my mug with a pink straw because yay the sun is shining here in new york again and we're so happy about that the sun should be shining all over the world as far as i'm concerned so we're talking about a very serious business topic your business innovation what's your organization doing to keep up are you timidly tipping your toe to dip it in the water of the new technologies like machine learning and AI and AR and all that good stuff? Are you scared to you know what to death or are you excited? How is the top-down mood 
the culture in your organization, are you embracing it? You cannot avoid it much longer. You've got to do it, but how are you going to do it? We're going to go back to our, our quick quote here, the Einstein quote, uh, the world cannot be changed without changing our thinking. That's the mindset, and the unexpected must be expected. All those good cliches. We're talking to Reuven Gorst at Move Snap, Jeremy C. Thomas at Karam, and Jennifer Ford at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a 90-second break. You can count along with us. Again, you're listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers Radio here on the Business Channel. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When you discuss the future design of any topic, there is one word always present. Connected. As technology opens up the possibility of connection, we need to work together to ensure the ensuing change delivers forward progress to the people involved. Leaders designing a connected future will add another word to the narrative of disruption and innovation, inclusion. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the purposeful design of the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Designing the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to designing the future with Game Changers. Here we go. We're back and we're talking about business innovation for your organization. Are you ready? Are you there yet? Is it going well? Are you approaching it with a, a straight on head or are you approaching it with an OMG? What are we going to do now? We're speaking with Reuven Gorst at MoveSnap, Jeremy C. Thomas at Karam, and Jennifer Ford at SAP. We're going to kick off the roundtable in earnest, as my late mom used to say, with some notes here from Reuven Gorst. Reuven says, let's read this, in a world of distraction. There's one thing that emerges as most valuable, our time. Uh, we, all right, this is about your company. Let's talk about innovation. Let's talk about how this, this time value of time for companies that are seeing the handwriting on the wall, that digital virtual wall, Ruben, what does this have to do with the business innovation mindset? It, 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 I think it has to go back to, again, the fundamentals of solving real problems, right? If you look at... Um, you know, uh, for example, the, the time factor, all of us are busier than ever. I just saw a stat earlier this morning that about 60% of uh, North American households no longer cook. Um, so that opens up 
an entire um, opportunity for categories of, of companies that provide meal kits like Blue Apron and um, companies that do food delivery and all that sort of stuff. So, so it's really designing um, whatever, you know, whatever we, we can call innovation. You know, frankly, uh, innovation between us is a little bit of a generic buzzword that covers everything under the sun. But to me, it's all about solving um, the problems that we have as a society, as things as things shift, as we get busier, as we got lots lots of things going on, as we're doing things um, that uh, that used to be far more com- you know or, or that are far more complex than they should be. How do we simplify that? How do we give back the gift of the most precious asset that we all have? Is it's it's all about you know saving our time, right? Okay, I want to make sure we go around the table and let's see what in this realm of the distractions of business innovation. Jeremy C. Thomas, do you want to add on to what Ruben shared? Yeah, I think that we do have tremendous opportunities where we can find uh, pain and um, and things that are frustrating or, or even can ease uh, what our lives can do. And I think that's important. Um, I find those things are a little bit easier for smaller companies, startups to do, uh, whereas the larger companies that I traditionally work with, with Carum and, and innovation projects, they have a lot harder time getting uh, to that level of one-to-one understanding those sorts of pains because they are focused on mass market and sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit is, is how do I find that pain? And that's why these companies like the food vendors or uh, that are doing that, I think that's why they have success, is that they're nimble and able to do it uh, and able to connect more one-to-one, whereas a, a large organization just can't do that. Thank you, Jeremy. Jennifer Ford, thoughts? You know, I agree um, with what Jeremy said as far as, you know, it's, it's easier for smaller organizations, you know, but I, I kind of... I feel like in a lot of these conversations, we give large organizations a pass. And, and the fact of the matter is, what I find in a lot of these conversations that we have is that they have developed an organizational culture that looks inward at what they want to accomplish, as opposed to you know continuing to remember how they got to where they were was by looking outward at what was needed and what their customers wanted um, in order to make their lives, you know, simpler, safer, um, you know, more fun. Um, and, and that was something that grew over time. But I think that uh, if, if we continue to give them a pass, that also gives them a pass to not do anything different than what they've always done. And, and the mass majority of us aren't giving them a pass by how we determine we want to spend our money and where we want to spend our money. And so, you know, over a course of of years, potentially, you know, they're going to continue to hold a certain amount of of market share, but Mm -hmm. eventually they're going to, they're going to watch that devolve. And that's something that, uh, you know, that, that pass is not such a great idea anymore. Very interesting. I'm going without, uh, you know, my rule of thumb is we never bash, trash, or smash when we give case studies here. All I'm going to say that is as part of my move of my purchase of a new home using a major bank, found out that their uh, mortgage processing system is so antiquated, so clumsy, that the people I dealt with continually apologized to me that they were asking me for documents they already had. 
they were asking me to re-upload documents I had already uploaded. They kept apologizing, and I kept saying, forget about security of my information. Can I just email the damn documents to you? The pain. <laughs> and it was shocking to me that a company that big was ignoring that they had to do, Jennifer, some really basic innovation was, for goodness sake, streamline the system. You're dealing with thousands of people on a daily basis, maybe millions, and you're putting everybody through that pain. Going back to Ruben's remark a moment ago about our, in our world of distraction, the lack of innovation was distracting and it was wasting my precious resource, my time. We ended up doing the business together, but it was, I, I kept saying to them, seriously, you don't have a smooth system that will just do this seamlessly? And they kept apologizing. I, shock and amazement, absolutely. And what is the culture? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who's running that culture, but certainly somebody is not paying attention to the basics of innovation. I'm just going to say sad. Ruben, any comments you want to make before I move on to Jeremy Thomas's notes here? Yeah, I know, uh, Bonnie. Thanks, thanks for sharing your experience. And I think you know, to me, I, I sort of look at it as as from the lens of opportunity, right? And um, you know, as we talked about, you know, startups being nimble and and being able to kind of look at this particular mortgage issue as saying, look, this is a massive opportunity. It's probably about a hundred billion dollars generated um, <clears throat> annually by uh, by banks on just mortgage interest alone. So it's a massive market, and there are companies that are going to take a crack and at, at solving this problem. And perhaps, you know, Bonnie, your next home or our next home, um, the process will be a lot simpler because one thing that we have proven out, um, and again, you know, go back to this notion of no need for a crystal ball because you can just kind of see what's going on between the, mm -hmm. the Ubers and the Airbnbs and such, is that the, the, real, the real genius comes from a better experience, a better way to yeah. hail a cab, a better way to book a hotel, a better way to travel, a better way to take out a mortgage. Um, so again, it's just a matter of time and, and the right people and the right um, capital looking at this opportunity. Um, and that's where it all kind of dovetails into what we're talking about, which is, you know, should you do anything or should you sit still and still, you know, mm. count, uh, count on the fact that you're an incumbent and you've got hundreds of millions of clients. Very well put. Thank you for wrapping that one up in a big red bow for maybe a gold bow. I appreciate that, Reuben. Jeremy Thomas, looking at your notes here, let's get down to some of the basics we're trying to cover here. You say too many companies focus on innovation by adopting technology or even business models. What's missing is the vision of what work looks like in the future and how organizations can be designed to support it. Jeremy, please tell us more. Yeah, we've talked about this before, Bonnie, when, when I've been on this idea that, um, you know, just simply adopting technology for technology's sake is right. not the answer to innovation, right? And, um, and one of the things, and, you know, I, I continue to do engagements with, you know, primarily large companies uh, on their innovation topics. And, you know, it, it may be around adopting machine learning or considering using some augmented reality or virtual reality sorts of things. And that technology is all great and in and of itself is innovative. But what's not innovative is the fact that they just want to adopt it, but they don't want to think about what it means for their company. And when we want to talk about fear and excitement, most of the people in these workshops that I do in these projects are afraid because what they hear and I'm talking below the top level of the organization, but what they hear with all these technologies 
is a lot of my responsibilities and work is going away, which makes me feel like I may not be valuable and I may not be able to continue to have the job I have today, but you're not telling me what I am going to do. So help me design the future of how I'm working so that I can feel comfortable with adopting the technology that you're buying. And the reality is, is a lot of companies don't buy it because they know that their employees aren't going to adopt it because they resist it. And until they can overcome that cultural shift, it doesn't matter what they want to do if they can't change and show even their own employees, not, not even talking about investors and consumers, they're also important in this equation. But even just getting their employees to buy in doesn't seem to work. Interesting. Jennifer Ford, love to get your thoughts on what Jeremy just shared. Absolutely. I, uh, I've been in several um, different workshops over the past year about the future of work and what does the future of work look like. And it's interesting um, because a lot of it depends on the, the people of the organization that you're working with. You know, if you're talking, you know, to HR, you know, they're bringing up the different ways that uh, people can be enabled and how do you enable them, you know, in the moment. But what I find is that there isn't a holistic approach, you know, to saying, okay, we're going to involve people across all the different aspects of our organization. We're going to talk about what's our why, why is that important to our customers, and now why is that important to how you work and how you're going to deliver that. Because to Jeremy's point, if everything, if the conversation is fragmented across all these different departments, you can't make that move. You can't make fragments move. You can only make a whole move. And that's what these organizations, you know, really need to focus on is, is how do they <clears throat> capture all of those fragments, mush them together into a whole so that they can move, move that whole forward, you know, into the future that they have described together. Thank you, Jennifer. Reuben, round the table to you. What do you think about mushing all those parts into the hole or anything else we talked about here? Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, we all know that, you know, culture eats any strategy, any idea for breakfast, right? And you can have the best mm-hmm. and brightest ideas if you don't have the, the right execution behind it and the right level of commitment, then you're just going to get a lot of uh, PowerPoint slides, frankly, um, and, and, nothing, and no progress. Um, so you know we've seen we've seen some organizations that you know have, have successfully transformed and you know it, it takes uh, it takes as Jennifer mentioned earlier uh, a lot of leadership a lot of the right um, folks uh, aligned and, and committed uh, down you know in, in at the lines of execution um, and it will continue to take some um, massive effort to to make these things happen um, in the meantime you know what we know is uh, disruption and you know companies. New companies emerging, companies that are uh, frankly, you know, no longer, uh, no longer in business or on their way out. Uh, that that entire cycle will continue to evolve uh, naturally, as as it always has. Um, perhaps maybe just a little bit more accelerated because of technology and because of um, the level of sophistication that that we've reached as a, as a as a culture and human society in general. Thank you very much, Jeremy. You want to comment on what your colleagues on the panel added? Yeah, no, I think that both, um, you know, both made really good points. I think, you know, kind of in the end, what is important, I think, along this topic is that we're all people 
And, and to really innovate, we need to focus on the people, whether that's the employees, the consumers, whoever it is. And we need to get away from thinking of innovation solely in terms of technology or in changing business models. And, and you know, that's, you know, let's, let's get back to the basics. Let's innovate for people and forget about the fact that, that we have cool new technologies. If they don't lead us down that road, then what's the point of following it? Yep. Thank you very much. And, Jennifer, I'm looking at your notes here, something very provocative we're going to go to next. You say most of the organizations you work with start the innovation conversation with, we don't want to be amazon but that's as far as they go in terms of inputting to the conversation. What is this all about, Jennifer Ford? Yeah, it's it's it is kind of it, it's not amusing anymore. Actually, when it first happened, um, you know, probably about a year ago, you know, you you understood what a company was saying is that you know they they didn't want um, to basically become a commodity in something that they felt that they had had built a market, had built a product that people wanted and were a major player, you know, but now all of a sudden, you know, they were, uh, you know, basically the equivalent of just a, an element of the drop-down box when you went to Amazon and selected everything else that you wanted. But, you know, and that, that comment now is, is prevalent within a lot of the different organizations. But to go back to, to what we've been talking about, what Amazon has done has given us back time. You know, it has made it possible for me to, you know, get fresh food, for me to set up subscription services for, you know, elements of my life that I really, you know, I I don't care about my laundry detergent. I care about whether or not I don't have it, but I don't, you know, (laughs) care about it. And so it has given me back, you know, time. And, when these organizations say that, you know, they don't want to just become another commodity on Amazon, I understand that, but that's not enough of a reason for me to go to your app or your website. What is the other unmet need? Even if it is another element of time, you know, that I'm not getting, that as a consumer, you are going to be providing me something different. So, you know, where all of this started with us, Bonnie, you know, is design thinking, you know, and and really going out and doing the research and understanding what Mm -hmm. it is people don't have. And so how are you going to competitively differentiate yourself by really understanding that element and giving people a reason to go to you? What are you giving me that I don't already have? And, and that's where, that's where when I say the conversation stops, you know, they tell me what they don't want, but they haven't told me that they're willing to put the work in to go and figure out how to not be that. Very interesting. We're back to our culture again. Uh, Ruben Gorsh, love to get your thoughts on what Jennifer just shared with us. Yeah, I know. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, Amazon has come out to be uh, the, the force uh, or the force of nature in, in you know, in a lot of industries, obviously, starting with books and now growing into uh, causing some, some real uh, fear in, in, in all of retail across the board, getting into home services and, and, and so on. But it, what it really comes down to, and, and uh, maybe it sounds like I'm, I'm repeating myself, is, is really solving uh, real tangible problems and adding value to that consumer at, at the, uh, on the other end of the screen or on the other end of the keyboard that needs to get 
things done. It needs a, a simpler approach at, at, at accomplishing a task, a simpler approach at going and living their life and trading off um, the time that they would, um, you know, uh, purchasing something or thinking about, you know, do I need laundry detergent or anything like that, um, into spending more time doing what they love, spending time with their family, taking up hobbies and, and all that sort of stuff. So it really comes down to um, trading off um, time and, and any, again, any company that delivers that level of experience and and truly solves the problem, saves people time, is going to win in the market. I think it's hands down. Seen it before. We'll see it again. I think indeed we will. Jeremy Thomas, love to get your thoughts on this, please. Yeah, I think, you know, Amazon has done some amazing things. And, and I, I, just to tie it back to something I think you said earlier, Bonnie, um, mm-hmm. in this idea of uh, you know, the, the bank you dealt with, the financial institution uh, mm-hmm. on your mortgage, the difference between Amazon and why they're able to be successful and really reach the consumers on a, a different level to provide time is because they're not as antiquated as most of the other big companies we have. And, and they actually yes. do provide a seamless experience that gives me back time as a person. Whereas, you know, a, a lot of other companies still have a very Byzantine process or IT infrastructure technology, and they're not able to do that because they don't want to spend the enormous amount of capital. Amazon is pretty new, and they've been very aggressive at putting their infrastructure in place to make this happen. And that's the difference between Amazon and a lot of other companies, and that's what enables them to then get in touch with the consumer, to know what they want, to know how to deliver it, to know how to give me back time. And I think that's a, a beautiful part of, of what Jennifer meant there is, you know, is what, at least what I took from it was this idea that, you know, they are providing value by doing this and that there's a reason why. And, and I think that's a, a valuable lesson for other companies, not to take it as, you know, what is Amazon doing that I can do, but why is it they're able to do it? And the why, I think, would lead them to a different path on how to create innovation opportunities within their own business with their own consumers and with others that they're not doing business with today. Thank you very much. Jennifer, you want to wrap this one up? You have some great comments here from your colleagues on the panel, Ruben and Jeremy. Go ahead, Jennifer. Absolutely. I think that uh, that Jeremy brought that that together very nicely is that, um, you know, one of the other comments that we had was around technology for technology's sake. What, What people forget is that Amazon, and, and this is a, a basis of why they're really good. One, they take a people-centric view for what they do, and two, their technology capabilities and competence is, is, is extreme for an organization that is really, you know, customer-centric. And I think that that is a lesson that a lot of organizations forget about or don't put two and two together is that, you know, they, they have that underpinning and that knowledge of once they learn something, they're very quick to take technology and create a solution immediately. And so for them, that is a seamless way of thought. For most organizations, technology still is something that they're trying to figure out, you know, where, where do I put this and how do I use it? And, and the, you know, their technology knowledge and is still a separate part of their organization. It's not a seamless underpinning the way Amazon has as a part of their strategy. 
Thank you. Now, we have a little bit of time left here, about five minutes before we go to our crystal ball predictions round, and I'm going to interject something here and go around the panel. We'll start with Reuven and then Jeremy and then Jennifer. love to get your thoughts on this. For young companies starting out, uh, Reuven, you just, you're kicking off MoveSnap, brand new company. You come to the table with a lot of knowledge, industry knowledge. You have technology in your, in your blood, in your veins. For, for new companies starting out, what is the lesson to be learned when they're looking at established players or just middle market players saying, well, you know, we don't really want to invest in new solutions and it's a pain integrating new technology. We love our legacy systems. Ah, they're here. We're used to them. What is the lesson in terms of competitiveness, competition? Let's not talk about Amazon. Let's talk about uh, any company that's, that's, that is doing it fairly well uh, that could be you're trying to disrupt their industry. So what do new companies need to know so they come into the game as the, shall we say, business innovation disruptors, I'm going to put those three words together, where they are the ones who get it, but they're hitting the ground running. What would be your message to new companies, Ruben? Sure, um, and, and it's a really, really great question that I'm, Thank you. I'm working through. Uh, I've been working through for the last couple of years almost, but um, ultimately, if you if you look at the uh, smaller smaller companies or startups, uh, as, as many uh, as many refer to them as, uh, the competitive advantage that you do have is that you're able to do things that large organizations can't. Namely, uh, and I think Jennifer and and Jeremy have touched on it before, is really be very close and intimate to your customer. Um, so literally, you know, Bonnie, if, if I wanted to learn about uh, the moving process, I could, you know, occupy that passenger seat in your car and see what mm-hmm. that entire process looks like so that we can design to solve that problem. So that's the ultimate advantage that startups have, um, despite not having the resources or capital or, or people to execute. Um, and when those things are done, um, they start resonating with consumers and they can start scaling fairly quickly with um, little to no effort or little to no capital, right? And, that, and that's what we sort of call traction. So that's the ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate advantage and, and why, you know, many startups, uh, Amazon, you know, obviously not a startup anymore, but it merged literally from zero to being uh, an extremely dominant force in the industry based on that, based on knowing the customer experience, being very intimate and really starting, you know, with, Jeff Bezos going, you know, door to door selling books, understanding what people wanted and, and sticking to their principles. Thank you, Ruben. Very eloquent answer. Appreciate that. Jeremy Thomas at Karam, love to get your position on this. What's the lesson here for startups that are becoming they have the new business models, they know the new tech. They are operating in the cloud, hopefully. They're coming in as the disruptors, as what the older competitors should aspire to. What's your message for them? My message to them is to enjoy their capability to think differently and innovate early while it lasts because uh, I think when they hit the point, and Ruben just said it, when they hit the point where it's time to scale and they start growing at these rates and they're, they're getting funding and they're doing the things that all companies go through if they're going to grow, they will have to become efficient and they will have to adopt the same sorts of things that large organizations do. And that will make it harder and harder as they grow to continue to be as close to the customer, as innovative as they were, because scale needs efficiency. And efficiency is not innovation. So 
it's there's a tension, and this was one of the things that that I I think had in my talking points. But this tension exists, and the the tension is very heavily weighted when you're a startup on the side of being able to be free and innovative and close. But the larger mm-hmm. you get, and we see this from companies like Zappos, uh, who was a flat, very culture forward company, but once they reached a certain size, they had trouble maintaining that because you have to operate and you need to operate efficiently to meet the demands of your customers and to meet the demands of your investors. Um, So again, enjoy it while you're young, be innovative, be free, and try to keep that in your DNA, but realize that you will reach a point where you have to scale and that means that some of that's going to go away. Thank you. That was great. Great comment. Jennifer Ford, you know what I'm going to do? We are now deep into our time for the Crystal Ball Predictions Round. I'm going to start the predictions with you because we have been talking future-looking. We're grounded in the past and the current time, but we have been talking about what if and what businesses should do. So, Jennifer Ford, I'm going to let you start off the roundtable. What do you see coming down the pike, if you will, or up the highway or or in a drone coming to a rooftop near you somewhere? Uh, Between now and 2020, I'm focusing on 2020 just because it's coming at us so fast. So, Jennifer, I'll give you 60 seconds for your prediction. Please go. 2020, I see that uh, businesses will have had an epiphany that uh, in order for them to continue to move forward, they need to rely on their employees' understanding, you know, that their role within organizations is is not just a fleeting, uh, fleeting part of their life and that they will start to involve them more in bringing them closer and bringing, getting them more involved in the why of the organization and continuing to push forward. And I think that there's going to be more of a resurgence towards looking inward to look outward. Very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, circling around the table, Ruben Gorstedt, move snap, 60 seconds. You know what? No, I can give you 60 seconds. We might have a little extra for Jeremy. Go ahead, Ruben. Sure. Um Again, I, I don't. I don't think we really need a crystal ball. What we need is is really to uh, for each of us to take some individual ownership, right? Because I, I know we talked about, you know, the company. It has to come from the top, and it has to, you know, um, it, you, you kind of have to make things happen and make things align to um, to really encourage what we call innovation. Ultimately, um, I think each of us kind of has a sense of what's coming down the pipe. Um, and you have to ask yourself the question as an individual. So I know artificial intelligence is becoming uh, a thing right now. It's becoming really tangible. Will I have a job in five years? And if I don't, what am I doing now to prepare um, uh, myself for having a job or my kids having a job, that sort of thing? So, so ultimately, um, don't need the crystal ball we need individual ownership, and, and if more people kind of thought about it um, and, and stopped um, and, and sort of you know lifted lifted their head up and saw the landscape in terms of everything that's going on in the business industry and in the world in general, took ownership, um, I think we'd all be better off. Thank you very much. We're going to get rid of the crystal ball on the show. Oh, come on. I'm too too attached to it. Thank you very much. I'm actually moving my 36-inch disco ball with a motor that spins it and several light gels. I'm taking that with me to North Carolina. So there. Jeremy oh C. Yeah, I know. It's been with me since Eugene, Oregon. It just keeps traveling. The traveling disco ball. Uh, Jeremy C. Thomas, I saved 60 seconds for you. We'd love to hear your predictions. Sure. Well, I just had a prediction, a flash, and that was, you know, all of us. Uh, on the uh, the beach in North Carolina, dancing under your 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 dancing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can 
You can see it. Uh, 20, 2020 is really quick. I think that there will be some changes, um, uh, and importantly, around the idea that Ruben just mentioned, this, this idea that we need to be thinking more forward about what we're going to be doing. I have young children. Um, I'm currently working with my six-and-a-half-year-old to try to think how I can prepare him for the future. Uh, I see a lot of schools that have a really big focus on coding, uh, on, on you know, STEM. And I, I see that, and I think that it's, it's still very reactive. And, and I hope that we will change to be more proactive because my child is six-and-a-half. Do I believe when he is 22 and looking for a job that humans will still be doing coding? No, I don't. I think that machine learning and artificial intelligence will be doing coding. So why am I teaching? Why is there such a focus on something that's today's job, but it's not tomorrow's job? We need by 2020 to figure out how to plan for tomorrow and not always be only looking at today. Thank you. Very profound. Ruben Gorscht, all the best with MoveSnap. Jeremy C. Thomas, pleasure to speak with you. Everything good. For the future at Karam and Jennifer Ford, enjoy the rest of your vacation. I'll be back oh, at 2 p.m. this afternoon. I said that with excitement here on the Business Channel with a live episode of Changing the Game with HR, another very compelling conversation. I want to do a shout-out to Jennifer Ford and Charlotte Buey for sponsoring this series. I think this is episode number 10, so we're at the end of their season, hoping they will renew next year. We'll have, have a sidebar with Jennifer and with Charlotte. Thank you to Kevin, our engineer at World Talk Radio, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in a couple of hours, but for now, here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? For goodness sake, go out and be a game changer right now like Reuven Gorsh, like Jeremy C. Thomas, and like Jennifer Ford. Talk to you in a little while. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.